Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to the Simple Flying Podcast, where we will give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what's coming up this week. Coming up in today's show, Etihad reaffirms their commitment to the Airbus A350, and I'll take a look at what led to LATAM declaring bankruptcy. I'll share just what it's like to fly during the current crisis and hand back to Joe for an update on a busy week for Wizz Air. Finally, we'll take a look at Aerostana's new plans for its Boeing 767 fleet. So, you've heard what we're going to talk about. Now let's get on with the show. Tom, I believe you're kicking off today for a bit of a shake-up in the usual format. (laughs) Yeah, I thought I'd surprise all our usual listeners. Um, So I wanted to start by talking about Etihad this week um, because they are an interesting airline, as is every airline, but... um, They had lots of A350 orders back in the day, and um, they cancelled some, so they were left with just five A350-1000 orders. Um, But this is where it gets interesting, because four of these aircraft have already been built, painted, tested, and delivered on contract to Etihad. However, they were delivered straight to Bordeaux in France, where they've sat ever since. Mm. And the fifth of these five aircraft is sort of just reaching that point itself. So it's Um, uh, probably going to be flying straight to storage as well. Yeah, it is going to be flying straight to storage. And um, I mean, it was interesting because two weeks ago, um, there was a, a report from unidentified sources saying that um, perhaps Etihad would scrap its 5A350-1000 orders. So um, I wrote to Etihad, as any good journalist would, and asked what was up. And they told me um, Etihad is committed to the delivery of its future fleet of Airbus A350-1000s and has selected the routes to be operated by this aircraft type. Already? So, hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they're ready for delivery. And um, I mean... It's an interesting one because they were. We were also talking about the A350 with them, and they said that um, that remains a key part of their fleet, and it's suited to a number of their routes. Um, and they said the routes are to be gradually reintroduced, but they never said that they'd be reintroduced with the A350. Right. Um, with, with the A380, sorry. Um, okay. So it's re- is it replacing <laughs> the A380 or? Well, this is the thing. It's um, They've not actually said what it's doing. And to say it is replacing the A380 would be speculation, but... I mean, we like a bit of speculation at yeah. Simple Flying, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because obviously this is an aircraft that's built, ready to be delivered, you know, it's got the Etihad livery on it. All you've got to do is change the registration because I think it's still got um, French registration plates on it. Right. Um, And then, I I mean, it would definitely make sense for Etihad because it's fuel efficient and it's a really nice aircraft. And, um, you know, fuel efficient aircraft going forward with two engines is is the way forward. Oh, absolutely. So, And just to would, be clear on this, they didn't start flying these to storage because of coronavirus. This no, was no, no. happening I, before I mean, the crisis, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, this is absolutely... The, the reason they haven't taken them yet is absolutely unrelated to the current system uh, situation, which actually makes a change. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like... Um, they may not be taking them now, right now, because of the situation. But 
the first ones were sent to storage back I don't know at the end of summer last year maybe September and uh, nobody even was thinking of coronavirus back then Right. Okay. Crazy. But Hmm. I guess in some ways, the A350 is going to make even more sense for Etihad coming out of this crisis when uh, perhaps the A380 won't. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting one. I hope they don't get rid of their A380s yet because they've got an average age of less than five years. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I already think that Air France's 10 years is way too soon. Well, yes, um, but <laughs> so, you've mean, got to understand what years. Air France was saying about yeah. updating the cabins. But for Etihad, they've already yeah. got a cracking cabin in there, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, I so. mean, they're the only ones that come with um, a private apartment. <laughs> I was going to say suite, but um, there's not it's a suite. It's more than it's, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's the, yeah. the residence. Um, <laughs> I'd yeah, happily although, live in there, actually. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was um, joking to somebody that that would be the ideal A380 to turn into um, into a hotel or something like the 747 yes. in Stockholm because you've already got one room there. <laughs> yeah, 1% of the work's already done. <laughs> mm. Cool. Well, it would be really interesting to see when they bring them back and where they place them when they are brought back. But uh, in some ways, it's still quite (laughs) sad to see these lovely new A350s going to storage when they should be out making the world happy, you know? It is. It's. I think it's a bit of an odd one as well, because they're not going to have... It's a bit like the Max saga, you know, when these aircraft finally are delivered to the airline, they're not going to be brand new. And um, there was this worry with... Yeah, exactly. Like um, there was this worry with the Max that some people are going to get um, year-old aircraft delivered to them, and um, there's going to be issues with the servicing because some are yeah. service some service items are done on um, hours flying, and others are done on fixed time frames, like once a year. And usually they're worked out together, but right. they're going to be really mismatched be now because now, yeah, yeah, the once a year stuff will have come up, and um, the every 100 hours, for example, won't have come up. So does the aircraft, just for my own understanding, you know when you look on plane spotters or air fleets Mm. and you see what the age of a particular aircraft is, does that aircraft start ageing when it leaves Boeing's production line or when the customer takes delivery? Because I've never... mm. <laughs> I know with cars, I mean, you know, you can you can take a new car and actually it's been sat in some storage place for like two or three years sometimes and uh, you know they're not as I new think, as you might think, but yeah, I don't really know I how mean, aircraft work. I don't know exactly off of the top of my head without looking into it, but I think my understanding was that the age is based off of the date of the first flight. Okay. So um Obviously, it depends if they flew away from Boeing and uh, if they did, then they may well already be a year old. I mean, I mean, every aircraft gets flown as part of its testing program before it's delivered anyway. So true. Um, We shall have to look into that one because I'd like to know more about that and how old these uh, 737s will be when they start delivering. But uh, gone a bit off Mm. topic there. At least it wasn't sandwiches this week, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) I've still got time. (laughs) So, uh, so. Why don't Should you we... <laughs> switch away from um, Etihad and yeah. fill us in on less happy news? 
So from the Middle East to South America, and uh, what I wanted to talk about was um, the big news last week, obviously, was that LATAM had filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Um, now, so this was not the entirety of LATAM's operations. It was the, the main company and its affiliates in um, Chile, Peru, Colombia, Ecuador, and the USA, but it didn't include Brazil, Argentina, or Paraguay. So, um, from what I understand, Chapter 11 is a legal framework that would allow LATAM to be able to restructure and right-size its operations. So, really, the filing, it's not the end of the airline. It is about the airline trying to find a bit of breathing room um, to restructure its debts, to enable it to, well, the words that LATAM used was to um, enable it to restore long-term sustainability. So, likely there'll be a bit of paperwork shuffling and a bit of uh, money moving moving around. But essentially, this is not a bankruptcy like when we see mm. airlines like Thomas Cook or Flybe go bankrupt because well, the yeah, time is still flying. Still flying and they? Yeah, they, they, they have said that the passenger and cargo operations will not be affected. Anyone who holds a voucher or a reservation or has Latam pass miles, they're all still going to be valid. So mm. essentially, there's no big changes, but it does mean the company is in a lot of financial difficulties. So the, this filing really is, as I said, just giving them a bit of breathing room. So, so far, mm. um, what's happened on this is we know that their major shareholders, including Qatar Airways, have stumped up to provide around $900 million in funding. Um, but there is one shareholder that's been awfully quiet. <laughs> that is uh, Delta Airlines, who, who of course, became the, the largest. Yeah, the largest and newest shareholder towards the end of last year. Um, mm. They have 20% in the TAM. Um, so, they have, in true Delta form, <laughs> not really offered anything. And uh, yeah. anyone who's been following the Virgin Atlantic story will know what I'm talking about there. But <laughs> they tend to enjoy their joint ventures and their partnerships, but not in so far as actually kind of getting the purse out. But uh, mm. what they have actually given the TAM was uh, $62 million for absolutely nothing. And uh, <laughs> what this was all about was when they entered the joint venture, the, the partnership with the TAM, they agreed that they would buy four A350s that the TAM already had in operation and, uh, mm. you know, relivery them, sort them out into Delta standards and start using them. And at the same time, they would also take over its order with Airbus for a further 10 of the type. But given the current situation, I guess Delta doesn't really want the added expense of taking four mm. wide bodies that it's going to need to reconfigure and re-livery and, mm. you know, put Delta One suites in and all that sort of thing. They have and said I mean, they'll... They're Tom. already committed to the 10 through the order anyway, aren't they? Because that's already yeah. been cancelled as a LATAM order and then and replaced, replaced as, as a Delta, Delta order. So yeah, I'm they're sure. still absolutely in bed with Airbus yeah. on that one. They can't back out of that. But this $62 million was apparently the compensation that was deemed to be payable to LATAM as a result of not taking these aircraft off its hands. But I guess Delta did the math and decided that it was cheaper to pay off mm. LATAM for the order than it was to continue taking the planes. And actually, mm. what was interesting was that at the point Latam filed for Chapter 11, 
Delta could have pulled out of the joint venture entirely without any penalty at all. That was already mm. written into the clause of the joint venture. Um, but they've decided to sort of double down on that, if you like. And, and uh, yeah. Ed Bastian was actually quoted last week saying he has the utmost confidence in his South American partner. So I don't think by any stretch of the imagination we've seen the last of LATAM. Obviously, mm. it's in severe financial difficulties and it's going to take a little bit of jiggling and I expect some job losses and maybe some fleet reduction for it to come back. But mm. I do believe it will come back and it will be a, a key partner for Delta because they, they really need a foot in the door in South America. So, um, mm. But I don't think they'll be giving them any more money. <laughs> what do you think, Tom? Well, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it's interesting that um, Delta has chosen to stick with it rather than walk away. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I hope that... Um, I hope that they do stick around because I don't hope that any airline goes bankrupt, of course. But um, it, it's just a shame that they left um, One World, I still think. <laughs> well, it uh, kind of goes with the territory. I don't think you can be in One World and be a Delta partner, can you? So, uh, yeah. yeah, there we go. I'm sure One World's uh, got plenty of other feelers out in South America, though, hasn't it? So Yeah, um, I seem to recall hearing something recently, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. So. <laughs> we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> yeah. So that was my update on Latam and what's going on with them. Um, Tom, you've actually been flying. I'm so jealous. I haven't been on a flight in forever. I haven't even seen an aircraft in forever. So tell us about your experience of flying during the pandemic. Yeah, so um, I had to fly the other day um, and it was not necessarily enjoyable flying. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to book a, a really nice flight that really suits me, but um, I needed to fly. And the option was um, not great, but it was better than um, nothing. So I ended up flying with Ryanair, which was it's always quite a an lot, experience. Don't you? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I you see a lot of people criticise Ryanair. You know, at the end of the day, for, uh, they're not the best airline in terms of a lot of things, but you can't beat them on price. <laughs> no, you um, really can't. And, I mean, it was interesting because I was looking into this, um, the whole booking thing for this, and uh, I ended up having to fly Ryanair uh, and then take a train home because that's was far, far cheaper. Uh, Lufthansa had direct flights, but these had both sold out. Um, right. And with Lufthansa not doing social distancing, I can imagine that every single seat on those flights was um, filled or sold Agreed. at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I flew with Ryanair and this was a bizarre experience. Um, more than just a standard flight with Ryanair. So um, I did the usual check-in online thing and then... I, the flight was at 6.15 in the morning, um, which is where it starts to get interesting because um, from, it was from Stansted Airport. And they say, um, we recommend you leave more time than usual because it could take longer uh, because of coronavirus. But then at the same time, they're saying because of coronavirus, we're not opening the terminal until 5 a.m., which is oh. an hour and 15 minutes before the flight departs. Oh. <laughs> um, which was slightly worrying, but I'll get to that in a minute. So I got to the airport right at 5 a.m. And uh, we went in the terminal. Already the queue for security was uh, halfway down the terminal, or at least a quarter. Um, and they only had um, two rows, of two security lanes open, and they were both operating at half capacity. Um, and this is where it makes me wonder what it's going to be like when things return to normal, because... 
Um, obviously, Ryanair is planning to operate a thousand flights per day. Obviously, not all from Stansted, but no. a significant number, being as that's their biggest hub. Mm-hmm. Um, a thousand flights a day from the first of July. Now, on when I travelled, it was operating two flights, sort of per slot. So there were two flights, and then there was a gap between flights, and then two flights. Um, blah blah blah. Um, and even with so there were two flights leaving when I went uh, one to Eindhoven which I took and another to Sofia and even with just these two flights pretty much the majority of the normal queuing system was taken up for socially distanced queuing oh right (laughs) wow Um, so what's going to happen when you've got five or six going at the same time this is what I'm wondering it's going to be chaos it it can't be the that what they're doing now can't be the new normal but um it was interesting because when I got to security I was handed two um blue gloves to put on and wasn't allowed to take them off until I left the terminal um and then this whole queue was bizarre in itself because um, there was a man whose job was just to manage social distancing in the queue. And I got the impression that he was um, a member of management at the airport. Right. Um, just from sort of the way he was acting and how he was dressed. Um, but like, it would make sense because he was obviously a member of security management from mm-hmm. what I understood. Um, and it would make sense to me if he used to be in the army. Um, oh, really? Because, yeah, <laughs> it was that bad, he was, okay? <laughs> it was. He was shouting at everyone, um, like constantly shouting. It was like being at a market, but the um, the the phrases weren't nice. You know, he was at points uh, belittling the queue because the people before us had taken too long because they weren't ready. Um <laughs> So that wasn't the best experience, but then the um, the actual going through the security checkpoint was amazing. It went so quickly because I guess because they only had two people going through instead of four yeah. on each one. Um, so that was a breeze. And then we got but into... But you still had to unpack your bag and everything, I guess, like you do. Well, you had to take the laptops out, but um, they said stuff like pockets, just put all of your pocket things inside your bag rather right. than in the tray. Um, oh, well, that helps a little, I guess. Yeah, so I was down to two trays instead of my usual three. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that was where it started to get good because then we walked around and um, any regular at Stansted will know how horrible world duty free is. Um, (laughs) You know, you've got to walk through this big S all through the terminal, but that was closed, uh, which meant you could use the little side corridor that plumps you right near where the gates are. Oh, lovely. There was only one problem with this, and that was that the only um, the only shop open was Boots, which is right by the exit to World Duty Free. So you had to walk all the way back oh, um, no. <laughs> to get there. And the, there was this poor uh, guy who was the only guy working there. Um, he was actually sat on an exercise bike and looked surprised that someone had walked in because, <laughs> I mean, there wasn't really time to go to Boots, you know, even as we were in the queue for security because the terminal opened so late our flight was saying now boarding on the top but you um, thought you'd risk it anyway oh well, yeah i mean like we didn't know <laughs> you when need we a bottle of water eat. i suppose don't you yeah yeah i bought um i bought a coffee and a sandwich and enjoyed that on the flight which was lucky because we'll get to that in a minute but um so next we walked to the gate and this was um this was nice because there was no uh, buses or airplane um, trains involved it was just the two gates nearest to the airport that were in use um, and everything else was barriered off so you couldn't miss it 
Um, and the two gates were either side of the terminal, so they could mm -hmm. split the terminal in two, or either side of the satellite pier. Um, and we had to fill in a health declaration because right. um, this was required upon our landing. But I mistakenly got given the form for Bulgaria. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> I think it was Bulgaria. Um, and it had a lot more, like, it needed my GP's details and all of this stuff. Wow. Um, and then I realized I had the wrong one, asked for the right one. And I got the one for the Netherlands, which just said, uh, asked me to tick boxes confirming that I didn't have coronavirus or any of the symptoms. Um, and then signed to say that I was truthful in declaring this. Right. Um, but nowhere was I, um, like, my temperature checked or anything. Like, there were Not no at actual. All. No, nothing. No actual oh, health checks. I'm surprised just, about that. Um, just honesty, which um, is nice in a way, but um, because Not it's nice that they trust you. Not everyone's as honest as perhaps you are. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that they trust you to be honest, but at the same time, can you trust people to be honest? Yeah, quite um, right. But then we just walked straight onto the airport airplane because there was no queue because it was taking everyone so long to do everything. Right. Um, and no one was checking whether you had priority boarding for your baggage allowance. Um, oh. And I know this because I didn't and I had uh, my partner's bag and no one said anything. Um, but then we walked on the plane and it was maybe about 40% full, you know. Um, it was... Bizarre, but there was no special, like, our boarding pass said that masks were mandatory, but there were no special announcements, anything like this. And I Was anyone that enforcing it? You know, was there people no, well, getting on without is, masks? Or So no one could get on without masks because nobody was allowed in the airport without a mask. But, oh, right. Okay. Um, I did notice that several people took their masks off on the flight and weren't told off. Oh. Um, so, but I didn't tell them off either because it's not my place to do that. But Well, no. It was interesting because the crew gave the safety demonstration and then we didn't see them again for the rest of the flight. They just minded their own business. There was no uh, no breakfast uh, sold, no drinks sold, no scratch cards sold. Wow. Um, That's quite was, something for Ryanair because they're normally trying yes. to sell you something every 10 minutes, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. You know, the crew definitely kept to themselves and it it was definitely a different experience. Um, and then we landed at Eindhoven and... Only 40 people were allowed off the aircraft at once so that um, the arrivals area didn't get too clogged. Um, so how so did we they were... manage that? Were they kind of doing people at the front first and then people in the well, middle? Or No, they just said um, they said you could leave by the front and back doors. And then when 40 people had got off, they just stopped everyone and said no one else can get off for a while because they need to uh, let, sort let it clear else. through the airport, right? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and then we got off and we walked a mile to the terminal. <laughs> um, it was, it's bizarre because there's no airplanes using this airport, but we still managed to get the furthest gate from the terminal. That's a bit <laughs> of a shame, isn't it? You think yeah. they'd pull you up to number one gate, really? Yeah, but um, I mean, that's what it was. Um, and then we walked in the terminal and um, someone from the fire department checked our form, but they didn't keep it or anything. So I don't know why we had to mm. write all our flight details and contact details on it because... It was just for us. Uh, like, they didn't take a copy of it, keep it. Um, yeah, and then we went through passport control. And this was the interesting one because I had my mask up. So, obviously, mouth, nose covered. You could just see my eyes and my forehead. Um, mm -hmm. But the lady at passport control didn't uh, ask me to remove my mask to show who I was. Oh, because um, I've seen pictures of the TSA in America and they do, don't they? They make yeah, you take your hat and your mask off and everything. Yeah. yeah. But um, she just assumed you, you were you by your eyes and hair alone. 
Yeah. Um, which is interesting because it looks nothing like my passport photo anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> you never do. Um, but yeah, and then I was just in the country. Um, we got given a little booklet saying, um, here's the rules and regulations in uh, the Netherlands. Um, but that was it. We were free to go about our own way. Oh, that's all right, I guess. And uh, and you're safe and you're well, that's the main thing. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, it it just goes to show how much difference there is between what airlines are saying and what they're putting yeah. out in their press releases and kind of what's actually bizarre, going on on the ground. Did you see any kind thing, of cleaning or um, you know extra sanitation going on while you were flying? I mean, the only thing was there was um, hand sanitizer pretty much everywhere in the airport. And um, what about on the flight? I guess that's not something I didn't Ryanair notice would anything, provide. But, no, um, I think like the only cleaning really is before and after passengers have been on. Sure. Um, I did notice that there was one man who found the mask he was given by the airport really uncomfortable because um, they're giving out masks at the moment if you don't have one just because it's like a trial period. Right. Um, and he did ask the Ryanair staff if he could have a mask and they was kind of like, oh, we shouldn't give one out, but here you go. Um, but what oh. I did find really... So they're obviously not keeping a stock to hand out to those that don't bring them then. Um, well, I think there's sort of like a sort of more like a first aid kit, like it's there if you need it, but uh, it shouldn't okay. be relied upon. But um, the one thing sure. that I really did take away from the experience was the concept of social distancing on the plane um, or why it's rubbish, because everyone talks about the middle seat. <laughs> um, and this yeah. was interesting because so I was traveling with my partner. I sat in A, she sat in C. So the middle seat was free. Mm -hmm. But she was still pretty much right next to me because there's, that's not even a meter in no, distance. It's not. But no. um, the person in front of me was even closer that I feel than if they'd been sat next to me. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it really does just show, to me personally, I think social distancing on flights is pointless. No, it's never going to work. And I think, you yeah. know, anybody that knows anything about aviation will agree with you on that point, Tom. But mm. uh, I mean, what we really need to know is that things like the amazing filtration they've got in the air systems, you know, these hospital yeah. grade HEPA filters and all that sort of thing, you know, that, well, that's that the thing, and the masks, know, that's going to do enough and personal hygiene standards, you know, that's going to do enough to, to really keep us safe flying because that's the only way we're mm. going to get back in the air. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I had no issues with turning my little um, aircon on when I got really hot, but um, somebody else a bit further forward completely freaked out when the person next to them turned it on. Oh, why? <laughs> um, just they thought it was blowing so, the germs around. Yeah, I think there's just um, such a misconception of how um, air filters around an aircraft in the general public. So Right. Oh, it's a um, really interesting experience. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no worries. And um, I think now you wanted to speak about one of Ryanair's main competitors and yeah. what they've been doing while Ryanair haven't really been flying. So from one low-cost carrier to another. So um, mm. Hungarian Wizz Air, um, people in Europe will be aware of this airline. And I think some in the US now, because it has actually rocked up in the States doing some uh, exceptional flights. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. So Wizz turned 16 years old this year, which isn't particularly old in terms of um, airline age. Um, but actually, you know, it's a refreshing change when everybody's talking about deferring Doom aircraft and orders <laughs> and laying off staff and not doing these routes and those routes. Wiz is actually gearing up for a really, really busy summer. And they've had a week of, 
you know, earth shattering announcements, really, you know, there's been a couple of really jaw dropping interviews given by the CEO. There's been press releases hitting our inbox like every other day about new stuff. Multiple times a day, you know, I wrote wrote an article about Wiz and it was already out of date by the time I clicked publish because there was new news. crazy so yeah I'm just kind of kind of recap on what's going on um, in case you guys missed it but um, they have had to make some changes due to COVID obviously you know everybody's having to do what they need to do so they've done a few bits of sale and leaseback of aircraft salaries have been cut um, but essentially they went into the crisis in an incredibly strong position so back in um, I think it was mid-March Kappa did an evaluation of European airlines and which ones had the most liquidity and Wiz had the most of any of them. Ryanair was a close second, um, but Wiz had the most. And Kappa evaluated it that the airline could survive for 176 days without carrying any passengers. Um, mm. But this week, or last week, I should say, in an interview, the CEO said that actually he evaluated it that they could survive for two years without carrying a passenger. You know, oh, so wow. good is their cost saving and so good is their bank balance. So I think that's, you know, really set them apart in terms of. Um, kind of how they've gone into the crisis. When you've got airlines like Norwegian, Capra evaluated them to have about two weeks worth of money. So you can see, you know, Wiz hasn't had a bailout. It's not asking for a bailout. It's actually doing very well on its own. Thank you very much. Um, And uh, Joseph Varadi, the the CEO, has said that he believes Wiz will be back to full strength within one year. Um, So, you know, that's a real contrast to other airlines that are saying it might be 2023 or 2024 before they're Mm. back to how they used to be. He thinks he's going to be there by this time next year. Um, And he's already started setting the airline up for a strong return of flights. Um, So one of the things we noticed they'd done, um, they very quietly, while everybody was kind of worried about COVID and grounding their planes, they moved their operations from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. So this is a strategic move. This is with uh, Hungary. This is not the new subsidiary, which Mm. will be coming later in the year. But it kind of gets their foot in the door. You know, it's going to make things a whole lot easier to build up this new Wizz Air Abu Dhabi if they've already got a presence at the airport. So when it begins flying, um, which he said was going to be within two weeks, and that was last week. So anytime in the next kind of 10 days, I would say they will be starting Hmm. to fly out to the UAE again. Um, And they'll be flying direct to Abu Dhabi instead of to Dubai. Um, And that kind of, like I I say, that's laying the groundwork for Wizz Air Abu Dhabi to launch as planned in quarter four. Mm. I mean, they were never really flying to Dubai anyway, were they? But Were they not? They were flying to World Central, which oh, is yeah. <laughs> there not is Dubai, that. if you ask me. It's like calling Luton, London. Well, it's almost as close to London. Abu Dhabi, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, so they're getting their foot in the door. They've got, um, they've got uh, you know, Etihad on side doing kind of um, ground ops and baggage handling and things like that. But he's made it very clear they are not starting with their Abu Dhabi to be a feeder airline um, for Etihad in any shape or form. They do what they do and they do it very well. And Etihad does what it does and it does it very well. But, you know, never the twain shall meet. They're not, they've, he said that he's absolutely written out of the equation any sort of code share or interlining. That's not what Wizz Air is about. So, I mean, it doesn't come as a huge shock because. Etihad's already um, opening its own low-cost carrier in this Abu Dhabi is, uh, with Air Arabia. Air Arabia, yeah, that's yeah. right. So I guess that will be a direct competitor yeah. to with Air Abu Dhabi. But I think the business yeah. model will be very different. I think Air mm. Arabia very much will be, you know, Etihad's feeder, a regional feeder. Yeah. 
although on a low cost basis. But uh, yeah, yeah I've like got high Dubai hopes. And Emirates. Exactly. I've got really big hopes for Wizair Abu Dhabi. You know, he's really mm. excited about the A321LRs that he's got placed on those um, that mission. And he's saying, you know, he'll fly anywhere within six and a half hours that he sees a profit. And, uh, you know, I think that's absolutely right. That's precisely what he's done with Wizair Hungary. And mm. uh, so Wizair Hungary in itself, aside of what's going on in the Middle East, has had a huge week for announcements. Um, they announced no less than 55 brand new routes last week um, and three new bases. So they've moved into Milan Malpensa, Tirana and uh, Larnaca. So um, those bases will have five, three and two aircraft initially. So not a huge um, deployment, but it is showing that, you know, they are focused on expanding. And I was reading on Anna Aero this afternoon, and uh, those new routes, a lot of them are going straight to those new hubs. So Milan's going to have 21 brand new routes, Tirana 15 and Larnaca 11. Across the 55, it's 195 extra weekly frequencies, which is big. You know, that's a lot. And the really key thing on this is that, um, according to Anna Aero's analysis, 28 of those new routes, will have no direct competition at all. And this is where Wiz always wins hands down. You know, it is a point-to-point airline and it picks up those routes that have a demand, but that no other airline is willing to fly. And somehow it manages to do it at a really low cost with a pretty good product and get enough load factor to still turn a profit, which, you know, it just seems to be this magic recipe that every other airline is missing out on. But you've got to have some big balls to do it, really. You know, these these funny little connections between towns of not very many people, other airlines will just go, oh, no, thanks. <laughs> that looks too risky. But they go for it and it works. So uh, really, it's just a case of will they ever be stopped? <laughs> yeah, you- I mean... Not anytime soon is my guess. Um, <laughs> although I'm, I'm still a bit annoyed at them for pulling out of Frankfurt. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a shame. Did you ever get to fly on them while they were flying I into France? Yeah, yeah, in January, we flew to um, Budapest with them, which I'm really annoyed about because I flew them and I'm like, wow, I really love their product. And then they've taken <laughs> it away from me. <laughs> oh, shame. Just stuck with dear old Ryanair again now. Yeah, I don't mind Ryanair. You know, they fly to where I want to go. <laughs> It's true. It's true. mm. Now, I do find that, I don't know, I think the Wiz product is just slightly better than Ryanair in terms of it doesn't feel bargain basement. You know, it is cheap and it is cheerful. You don't get any added extras, but you also don't feel like kind of cattle. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I know what you mean. I mean, I I think it's a different product. Um, I don't think it's terrible um, either way. You know, like I'm... I'm a big fan of Ryanair. Yeah, you know I'm a big fan of Ryanair. Um, I know you are, yeah. And I'm um, quite a big fan of EasyJet, but there's, you know, there is a third option and I think it's a pretty damn good one, actually. Yeah, Yeah, no, I would say that. um, From one... Not particularly well. Well, I don't know. Do people know Wiz around the world? I'm sure they do. But here's here's some news on a really bizarre airline that you probably haven't heard of. Tell us all about Aerostana, Tom. Well, I mean, I'd hope that our regular readers have heard of it because we've covered you it a fair few times. You write about it lots. <laughs> not, not so much myself these days, but um, they are... I'm going to not go on for too long because we've already been talking for quite a while now. But um, Aerostana is... I, I think is an up and coming airline to watch. And um, even though um, they haven't really been flying recently, they've still added to this um, belief because last year um, they set up their low cost subsidiary Fly Aristan, 
um, and then place an order for maxes for them at the Dubai Air Show. But um, now that they now that they're doing um, their full service and low cost, they're also venturing into cargo, and that's directly as a result of the current crisis. Because um, recently they found there's a huge need for people to move cargo around the world, um, especially like medical supplies and that. And they had. Uh, they'd. I'm going to use a word now, and you're going to hate me for doing this. Um, Please they don't had say turned, it. <laughs> <laughs> they had turned one of the um, seven eight seven six sevens um, into a makeshift freighter. Um, Go on then, say the word. Into a prater. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, um, Just makes you shiver down yeah. your spine, doesn't it? That's a it's horrible word. It's not a word. nice word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they turned one of the 767s into a makeshift freighter. And um, apparently it's been doing well because they have three uh, 767s and they're quite young. I think they've got an average age of about seven years each. Um, and all three of these are going to be become part of Aristana's brand new cargo fleet. Cool. Um, and I think for now, they're just going to be uh, makeshift freightering all of them, so taking the seats out and popping freight on the deck as it is. But um, I think long-term, there could be plans to convert them properly. Okay. So this is a whole new ball game for Aristana. It's like the crisis has spurred them on to investigate a new way of operating. Yeah, it is. I mean, um, it's interesting because people like BA and Lufthansa are doing it. But uh, BA, for example, has been very clear that this is not a permanent thing. You know, once yeah. the industry recovers, the seats will go back in and it will become a passenger aircraft again. But Yeah, sure. But I mean, Aristana has set up their own... Um, division just for cargo so you wouldn't do that if you're going to stop it shortly no absolutely i think it's really interesting and you know i think what we're seeing with a lot of airlines is this resilience to kind of mm. step outside their comfort zone and do yeah. something a bit different you know i said i mentioned with whiz i've been reading a lot about them this week and uh, they've been over in the usa doing i think cargo and repatriation yeah. and, and they've been and flying china out to well, china yeah it's been yeah. crazy so you know and it's that nice comes have... with a whole lot of new challenges in terms of securing permissions and landing space and mm. yeah it's amazing to see how resilient our, our airlines are really being just to kind of ensure their survival. So good for Aristana, you know, that's a great yeah. move. Hopefully something nice that will long continue. That, it's nice to see that we've now got these positive stories coming out of what's been such a negative story throughout. Yeah, it really is. And uh, mm. hopefully that trend will continue for yeah. uh, months to come. <laughs> Cool. Well, I think that's it for today's podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it and we welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.